Welcome to the Epicenter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Epicenter Church, visit epicenterchurch.com.au. All right, here we go. We're going to pray and uh, we're going to get into the serious stuff. All right, God, uh, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent your son for us. You didn't have to. You weren't obligated to, but you did because you love us and it's part of your nature, God. Uh, I pray, Lord, that as we come and um, we listen to your word and we listen to uh, what you've said to us and, and what you want to communicate to us, God, I pray, Lord, that we would walk away uh, just more in love with you every time. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are doing the question and answer series, obviously. Uh, this is one of the things that I love. Uh, and so I'm very glad to be able to come and do this here. We do a similar thing at our church uh, at the Latrobe campus Every week we have a texting question and then we'll record a video and play the video. So we obviously think uh, investing in the mind uh, is one of the, one of the things that God has commanded us to do. And uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Galileo who said, I refuse to uh, believe that God would give us a mind uh, and an intellect and then not expect us to use it. I think that's probably pretty fair, you know. He, he, he doesn't really do anything like that. So uh, we've been called to worship him with our mind and everything we have. So uh, let's put some time into our mind, huh? Very good. So we have two questions today. Uh, one is very theological. Uh, it's probably one of the hardest questions in Christianity. And the other one's a bit pastoral uh, and a little bit easier. So I'm going to ask that you put your thinking cap on. I'm going to ask that you, I think you just wear that all the time, Lyndon, don't you? Cover the bald spot. Um, <laughs> um, and, and do the best you can to, uh, to listen to the scriptures, listen to what uh, the Bible talks about, and then, and then try and digest what we're going to talk about from there. So uh, our question today, or our first one is, where does God's foreknowledge end and my free will start? All right. This is, this is in a, uh, a collection of questions. One of the things that has been uh, most discussed about in Christianity, probably more than most other things, people have been discussing and debating and going backwards and forwards for hundreds and thousands of years, ever since Jesus came. This has been uh, an issue for us. And so uh, we're going to solve that today. Not really. <laughs> We're going to look at it from a certain point of view. Uh, there's tons of different points of view, but this is the, the one that I feel most comfortable with. Um, that doesn't mean it's right. And I encourage you to go away from today. And if you really want to go down this rabbit warren, you can. Uh, if not, just be like, God is love. That's good. <laughs> um, but we're going to tackle it the best way we know how, okay? All right. So we're going to read from Romans 8, verse 28 to 30. Because the question is, where does this question come from? Because uh, one thing that happens with the Bible is that it's a little bit like Mr. Squiggle. In the sense that sometimes Mr. Squiggle, everybody here knows what Mr. Squiggle is. It's a guy, oh, it was a cartoony type thing. Basically, they'd send in, it's a puppet, yeah. It's a something. And, uh, and they would send in a, a, a line, a, like a piece of paper with a line on it and a dot and a right angle. And then Mr. Squiggle would draw and draw and draw and then flip it upside down and it would be something really cool. Now, with the Bible, 
Uh, we are sometimes given a right angle, we are given a squiggle, we are given a dot, and we have to sit there and think, ah, how does this all work together? How does this all, now sometimes it's just a straight line. It's just two dots, there's a straight line, that's it. This is one of the ones where there's squiggles, there's squares, there's overlapping lines, there's everything. So we're going to read some scriptures and understand uh, why this question is brought up. Uh, so in Romans it says, As we know, um, and as we know, God caused all things to work together for good for those who love him. Causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. For those he... Uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of son, his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So you can read a verse like that and be like, whew. God foreknew, he knows, you know, there's lots of verses that talk about, you know, since before the beginning of the earth, uh, Jesus was crucified, he was planned, he was set up to come. And then you read verses like uh, John 7, 17, and it says this, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. That's Jesus talking. Uh, in Romans 13, verse 2, it says, Consequently, whomever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. In Revelation 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, uh, I will come into, uh, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So we have these two kind of slightly competing ideas, it would seem. That on one side of the fence, uh, the Bible says that God has a plan. God has a, something that he set up from the beginning of the earth. And we would all agree with that, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and then on the other hand, it looks like he's asking us to make free will actions, to choose to follow him, to test what he says is from God or not, to, to open the door for him. Uh, there seems to be a, a personal agency that we are ascribed in scripture and so the question has always been how can God have foreknowledge or how can God know what's going to happen and us still have free will do you see do you see the the tension a little bit there that it's like well has it already happened or is it going to happen or, or what's how's that work or now there's been two major camps uh trying to deal with this question uh, and the usual way of dealing with it is that one will downplay the role of free will and one will downplay the role of God's plan and his providence, okay? There's a couple other different ways of looking at it, but they're kind of the main ways that it's usually tackled and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, ah, man, I, I get why you, you, you want to be faithful to Scripture. You're trying to find a way to make it work. Um, but let's see if we can do something a bit better. All right, let's see if we can come up with something better. So... Part of the answer is that God foreknowing something does not mean he forecaused it, okay? Foreknowing something is about to happen or is going to happen or whatever the case is doesn't mean you cause it to happen, okay? Now, we've all had that experience, maybe in the schoolyard, maybe on the football field, 
maybe on the netball court, wherever the case is, maybe at youth, whatever the case is, we've all had that experience where we've turned around and we've had enough time to see a ball flying at our face. Yeah? We've all had that experience or, or the time where you've gone to sit down on your chair and there's just that little bit of time where you're like, yeah, there's no chair there and I know what's going to happen. Now, knowing what's going to happen, the ball's going to hit you in the face. You, you understand uh, you know, the speed of the ball. You understand the trajectory of the ball. You understand your ineptitude. Uh, you know this ball is going to hit you in the face, Okay. Now, nothing you did caused that ball to start flying at your face. Does that make sense? You did not throw that ball at your own face. If you did, we've got a problem. Um, one of your friends has, or so, somebody else has put this in motion, and this ball is going to hit you in the face, but you have not caused it. All right. Now, what's happening here? What's happening in this example? Now, there's two things that are happening. Uh, you know that A plus B equals C, okay? You know the trajectory plus the speed plus whatever other factors are involved equals pain on my face, all right? You, you understand that. You know that. You can, you can tell. But you didn't cause any of that to happen. And what's also true is if the conditions were different, you would foreknow that something else would happen. For example, if you looked and somebody threw the ball that way as opposed to this way, you would foreknow that the ball is not going to hit you in the face. Okay? You would know, given the properties you can see about the situation, you would understand that the ball is not going to hit you in the face. Okay? Yeah? Everybody, everybody done gym? Everybody done PE? All right. Now, what's happening is that you know logically what's going to happen prior to it chronologically happening. Okay? You know, given all the factors that, that you understand about the world, that ball is going to hit you in the face. You know that logically before it happens chronologically, before it happens. You know it's going to happen. You foreknow that it's going to happen. Then it happens. Yeah? So they're the two things that are going on just now. And, then, and the fact of the matter is it's the same with God. Okay? He, he logically knows what's going to happen before it chronologically happens. And in that way, again, this is one perspective. You can go do a thesis on this if you want, and we're going to do the best we can today, but this is one perspective. Uh, in that way, it's not God shouting back from the end of time, shouting back to us what has happened and therefore relegating us to being marionettes playing out a play that's already happened. What's happening is that he is saying from the beginning of time that he knows what's going to happen. That's what foreknowledge is, foreknowing, prior knowledge. In Isaiah 46 verse 10, it says this, declaring the end from the beginning... So declaring the end of the movie from the start of the movie, some of you can do that, and it ruins the movie for everyone else. Thank goodness he didn't give us all foreknowledge. It would never have anything exciting ever happen again. Uh, but declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, 
These things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So God knows from the beginning of time how everything is going to play out. Okay? And we can actually take comfort in that. Uh, We can take comfort in that, that God knows everything that you are ever going to do and still offers you salvation. You're like, sometimes we do something, we're like, oh man, if God had known, he wouldn't have given me. (laughs) Yes, he would. He knew. There's nothing you can do that he's not prepared for. Okay? And he says, all right, I know. It's okay. If you want in, I've made a way for you still. And so we can take comfort in that. Now, for us, where does our foreknowledge of the ball-to-the-face moment, where does that come from? It comes from us understanding the nature of the things involved, okay? We understand that we've seen this happen enough. It's either happened to you repeatedly or it's happened to your friends or you've just thrown a ball enough. Our foreknowledge, when we know, when we know this ball is going to hit us, We know because of experience, or we know because we understand all the properties of the things involved. And in this way, our foreknowledge and God's foreknowledge are very similar. He he understands everything, right? He He knows everything that is true. He knows everything. He created the whole universe and designed it and created it without anyone's help, And it is dwarfed by his intellect. We can't even figure out how it started. We we can guess and make theories and stuff, but then another theory will come along. We'll be like, oh, back to the drawing board, you know, and and, and all these kind of things. But God, one word, just created the heavens and the earth, you know, just created it. Just easy for him. He understands it. It's like, you know, uh, Rob and I were watching, uh, watching his girls play noughts and crosses this morning. And I was like, just go there, you'll win, you'll win. No, nah, she stuffed it. All right, she missed the opportunity. Now, because we understand all the parameters and it's simple to us, we can understand how it would work, right? Now, for God, that, it's like, this is like noughts and crosses to him. He understands it. It is easy. There is nothing in this that is beyond his ken. Okay? And in the same way, he knows you. He knows you more intimately than you even know yourself. And he puts those two things together and he knows what's going to happen. Okay? It's like sometimes, you know, you'll go to somebody's house and, and the dad will say, hey, watch this. And he does something to the daughter and she reacts in a particular way that, you know, he said she would. Because you know your kids so well. You know, you can do that with different people. Megan knows that if she jabs me in the ribs, she'll probably get an elbow. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know people, all right? <laughs> not my (laughs) thanks babe (laughs) all right now our foreknowledge is very short-sighted our uh, us knowing what's going to happen is very short-sighted because we do not understand all the factors at play okay i cannot tell you right now whether i'm going to go into the car park and my tires are going to be slashed or not i assume they're not but you never know um I can't tell you if when I jump off this stage whether I'm going to break my ankle or not because I don't understand the the systems. I can't wrap my brain around everything, all the factors that are in play in every situation 
of life. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, when our limitations start interfering with that process of foreknowledge, we call it predicting. Yeah? Guessing. We go, ah, we guesstimate. Sometimes we have no information whatsoever and we still feel like we can guess, and that's fine. Um, yeah, gambling, that's a good one. You think you know, but you don't. <laughs> Only the bookies know. All right. But God doesn't have those particular limitations, does he? He knows how we're going to act. He knows us so well. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the physical systems that he's created better than anything. Uh, and he is not intimidated by the intellectual constraints he knows everything and he doesn't have those constraints. He looks at something and he knows how it's going to be. Now, given this knowledge, given the idea that God knows, we can go through our life using our free will and making our choices knowing that he has planned around them. Okay? He can see from the beginning of time all the possible outcomes. All right, And he knows what we will do and we can go through our lives knowing that he has planned around the outcomes. Sometimes we think, you know, maybe we can throw a fakie to God. Maybe we can throw him a curveball that he won't see. No, <laughs> that's not how it works, is it? So what we, what we need to look at is we need to look at the chain of events. Okay, so God knows everything and he created everything and then we, whatever the case is, we need to look at the chain of events, okay? Now the chain of events is this. He conceptualized us. He dreamt up us up in his brain, right? He imagined us. We didn't exist before he imagined us, yeah? All right. He conceptualized us, then he knew us. God doesn't have a concept that he doesn't fully know, right? God, if God has dreamt you up, he knows every detail about you. He knows every, every hair on your head and he knows everything, okay? So he, he, he conceptualized us and he knew us. From that, he saw what we would freely do, okay? We sometimes sit here and think, you know, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, but God can sit there and calculate every possibility of any environment that you would ever find yourself in and know what you would do because he understands all the factors so well. Make sense? All right, some people's ears are starting to bleed, um, but that's okay. He then plans around our actions, okay, this would, where, this would be where the Jesus being set aside before the foundations of the earth, that's where this would come in, right? He made a plan for our salvation, knowing what we would do. He then brings those things into reality because before that, we are just an ethereal concept in God's head, yeah? Okay, so he conceptualized us, he knew us, he saw exactly what we would do freely because he can compute any possibility, he plans around our actions. He then brings us into reality. He then executes his plan in conjunction with us going through the things that we would freely do. Does that make sense? 
You, this is recorded. You can always go back and re-listen. Which results in us making our choices and his plan unfolding. So God has taken our actions, our free actions into consideration before he creates. And then in conjunction with our free actions, he has a plan going at the same time to catch us when we fall. This is comforting stuff. This is, this is, God cannot be caught off guard by, uh, guard by how badly we sin or how far we stray. God has made a contingency for us and for us, such as Jesus Christ dying on the cross, that he has made a way. We didn't sin in the Garden of Eden and God's like, oh no, I need to make a plan. I need to sort this out. I need to fix it. No, he's like, I laid Jesus up before the foundations of the earth. We're ready to go. This will all work out in my time. I've got a plan. You do what you're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And we're going to get to the end and it's going to be great. All right? So the short answer to the question, where does God's foreknowledge end and our free will start, is that both our free will and God's foreknowledge run simultaneously. We are making free choices every day. God has pre-seen those things and chosen his actions accordingly. Make sense? All right. There's a couple follow-up questions that pop up from this, okay? Because if you ever answer a question, you always know there's going to be two more. It's like a hydra, all right? It's just you cut one head off and two more grow back. And uh, I actually really like that because that means that when we go to heaven, we're never going to run out of things to find out about God. There's always, But wait, that means that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we keep going down the chain forever. And so... The question is, does God actualizing or creating or bringing into reality, does the process of God actualizing the circumstances you are put in determine the outcome? So what that means is God can see every possible reality for every possible person, for every possible outcome in any possible time in any possible universe. Like I was talking to God yesterday, I said, God, you're complicated. And he goes, you don't know the half of it. And, um, and so by actualizing one of these scenarios, by putting us in the circumstances, by having us born in Australia or speaking English or whatever the case is, doesn't he, uh, does he determine the outcome? Uh, and the answer would be no, because circumstances don't dictate your actions. If I slap Rob in the face right now, Rob, just come, no. Uh, you, he's got a couple options. He can either slap me back or he can be a good pastor and turn the other cheek or just because he finds himself in a set of circumstances doesn't mean that he is bound to respond deterministically. Does that make sense? Yeah. He has choice because God has given him choice. He knows what you will do. He knows when you will. Uh, he knows what you are going to do. And he uses that inf information in the rest of his plan to catch us if we fall, or when we fall. <laughs> now, there's another follow-up question that in good conscience I can't skip over. 
You know, sometimes you talk about things like, don't really need to address that. We can talk about that another time. It's not core. To, but I feel like this is core to the whole issue, the core to uh, the whole thing. And so the question is, if God pre-knows every outcome, then how can God create some people who would end up in hell or separated from him? You can tackle afterlife whenever you want. Um, how can he create people who would be separated from him in eternity? Because we sit here and we go, ooh, that seems like a sticky wicket. That seems bad, that some people would go to hell. If he knows us and made us and knows what we will choose and he knows some of us will not choose him and he created those people anyway, how does that work? Yeah, seemed like a good question. I would suggest to you that God didn't have any other possible way he could have done it. Some people are like, wait, what? Big pardon? So we're going to go over that, and uh, this is where your brain might melt even a little bit more, so let's keep going. We always sit here and say, well, couldn't God have done it this way or that way? And to see this, we have to let the Bible speak to us. Because sometimes we get our theology from songs, don't we? Or we get our theology from OK Magazine. Or we get it from our friends. Or we get it from The Simpsons. Or whatever the case is. Okay? Whatever the case is, some of our theology is not grounded in God's Word. And that's okay. We've all got, I love, uh, I love the way N.T. Wright says it. When he gets up to speak anywhere, he says, 30% of what I'm about to say to you is wrong. I just don't know which 30%. Okay, we've all got blind spots. We've all got things that we think are biblical. Uh, but let's go read for a little bit. Uh, God has revealed himself in Scripture to be holy, good, wise, loving, infallible, perfect, all those things, yeah? Yeah. And as such, he is constrained by those properties. Okay? You cannot be good and do bad things and be called good. Yeah? Who he is and his actions uh, uh, flow out, his actions flow out of who he is. So anything that he does is holy and good and wise and loving and perfect. And, uh, and some of us sit here and say, <coughs> Pastor, I think you might, not have, you might have got something a little bit wrong there. And, uh, and so we're going to go read the Bible a little bit, just a couple little bits to see um, if God does in fact have constraints. Okay? Now in Hebrews 6 verse 18, it says this, So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It is impossible for God to lie. Impossible is what the Bible says. The Bible says that he cannot be pleased without faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. We have biblical evidence that God has limitations. 
Some of you are like, now I can't sing. Nothing is impossible anymore. God. You can, just don't sing the chorus. <laughs> um, so we have biblical evidence. We have biblical evidence that God has limitations. Now, these limitations are a result of his perfection, not his defection. Okay? Someone who cannot steal because they have a powerful moral compass is better than someone who can steal. Yeah? You hope so. Yeah? Okay, good. Um, these limitations result from how good God is, how loving He is, how perfect He is. These are an expression of uh, His goodness. And it's important to note that the only thing that can, that can constrain God is God Himself. There's nothing more powerful than God. There's no... There's no you know, prayer that you could put on God to make him have to do what you want. We're not that powerful. We're not that good. All right. There, there's no Satan can't put shackles on God. There's nothing that can, can put constraints upon God except himself. It would be crazy to think anything else could. So God has revealed himself in the Bible. God has revealed himself in the Bible to be holy, good, wise, loving, and perfect, etc. And as such, he's constrained and compelled by such properties. Now, I'm not putting these properties on God. He's revealed them to us. And the, and the question of, well, okay, is it a constraint from his nature? Or is it a constraint from his will? Doesn't really matter for this discussion. Maybe there's, maybe he, it's impossible for God to lie because he physically can't do it, or maybe it's impossible for him to lie because he will never do it. Really doesn't matter for this conversation. That's another conversation for another day if you really want to have it. But it does mean that if God chose to do this, this creation, if God chose to do this this way, then it is the best possible outcome outcome that could have been done. We understand, I hope we understand, sins of commission and sins of omission, yeah? Eve's sin was a sin of commission. She ate of the apple. Adam's sin was a sin of omission. He didn't look after his wife, okay? So there's sins that we commit that are, you know, stab somebody, take from somebody, whatever the case is, Lie, you know, things that we actively do that fall short of the glory of God. And then there's things that we don't do that we should do that fall short of the glory of God. Yeah? Should have given that, I should have paid for that person's groceries at the supermarket. God was telling me to, and I said, Get behind me, Satan. And my checkbook looks good, but my heart does not. All right? There's things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. Okay? Now, if God is good and holy and just and perfect and powerful and everything like that, he is bound to do the maximally great thing because to do anything less would not be God. It means if God chose to do it this way, this is the best possible way it could be done. 
There is nothing better he could have made. And if there, if there were a scenario that was better, wouldn't he have he created that? Wouldn't that give him more glory? Wouldn't that promote his name more? If there was a better way, he would have done it. As this is the reality we find ourselves in, it must be the best possible option. Because if there was better, he would have done that. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It is God's will that none should perish. Yeah? You just read that? We can affirm that? If it's God's will that none should perish and he could have done it another way, don't you think he would have done that? He made it this way and he was prepared to send his son to die for us. He wanted us so bad. If there was a way he could have done it without him sending his son to die on the cross to absorb sin or whatever the case was, he would have done it that way. Otherwise, God would be crazy. When it comes to salvation, the issue is this. You cannot force somebody to freely choose something. You either force them or they freely choose. Okay? For God to force humanity to consistently bend to his will would be tyranny, yeah? And we all have friends that already accuse God of tyranny. It's like, you don't understand, do you? They think that, oh, God, he's making all this. They already think he's tyrannical and they think it's bad. If God were tyrannical, that wouldn't be the maximum best thing, would it? So knowing that freedom is better than tyranny, he made us free. He made this existence the way that it is because uh, it is the best possible outcome and his nature wouldn't allow him to do anything but the best. That's God's nature. That's, that's who he is. He's not going to do anything but the best. He is the holy of holies. He is the most holy. He is the Lord of lords. Everything he is, he is the most of. And so for, for God, he's not going to do anything less than the best. And we sit here sometimes all high and mighty, uh, and we say, because uh, we have an idea of what perfect would be. Yeah? We have an idea of what perfect would be. Um, and we think that we can conceive of something greater than what God can conceive of. And to be honest, to be frank, that is arrogance of the highest order. I can't even tell you if the sandwich I'm about to eat is any good. If not, Damo knows he made it. Uh, we sit here and we go, God, if you just change this parameter. But God knows that given all the different limitations and all the different things that come from being maximally holy, maximally great, maximally whatever, that this is the best way and the pinnacle way he could have done it. 
He knows that whatever plan you or I come up with, it is deficient in some way because of the limitations he sees that either we cannot or we fail to choose to admit. God deems it better that some should have eternal life and everybody else gets what they deserve rather than nobody getting anything at all. That's the fact of the matter. And that's why he can know everything, he can plan everything, he can whatever, but he's not going to force us to freely choose something because that just can't be done. Because God is constrained by his properties. We good? All right. That is the very hard, very theological question. Some of you will have lots of follow-up questions, and there's uh, Google for that. And um, <laughs> we can talk about some stuff afterwards if you want. Um, but like I said, this is this um, this predestination, this foreknowledge, this election, this free will discussion has been going on in Christianity for hundreds and thousands of years, and will do probably for the next hundred and thousands of years till Jesus comes back. The real answer to all of this is that God loves us. He made a plan for us. He made a way for us. He, he saved us by his son dying on the cross, and he asks you to respond. Sometimes we get caught up in the how as opposed to the what. Okay, this is the how, and it's, it's very important for us to get caught up in it because it conveys the nature of God, and we want to worship him with our mind, and we want to uh, spend time wrestling with him and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that he provided that he loves, and that we have to choose, okay? All right, the second question is, as a Christian, is it okay to sin? A little bit less difficult, all right. <laughs> now, this question comes about as a response to the proclamation that we are saved by what Jesus did for us on the cross, and that salvation is by grace alone. Okay, two things that we would affirm. We would say yes and amen. It comes from the, the, the place uh, in Romans 5 where, where Paul is talking about how through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and all were condemned. And through one man, salvation entered the world through Jesus and those people who choose him were saved. Okay. And so the question then comes from the Jews that he's talking to, from the Christians that he's talking to, the question comes, well, if he paid the price uh, and that paying of the price glorifies God, shouldn't we sin more so that grace abounds more so God is glorified more? That's the question. And Paul says, by no means. By no means. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. Now Paul goes on to talk about how can you go, uh, how can you die to one way of living and then still live in it? He talks about it from that point of view. And I, I'd encourage you to go read all of the Bible, but Romans 6, because um, Paul addresses it in that particular place. Um, it's this idea that if we sin more, there's more grace, so God is more glorified. But um, God is glorified by the fact that he forgives us. That's, that's a great property, isn't it? That he's, that's a maximally great property that he forgives us. And so the issue for us is, 
what's the issue about sin? Okay, if uh, we're going to go read in Romans 2, because we know that sin generates wrath, yeah? We'll go read in the Bible. In Romans 2, verse 6, it says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. In Romans 3, it says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes we read uh, the Bible. You know, we'll read Romans 2 today uh, or this week, and then we'll read Romans 3 next week, and we think that they're different books or different... They're all one essay, all joined together. And so he says, you know, all the good people, they'll be saved, but none of you are good. That's what he says in Romans 3. He says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are in the wrath and fury camp. Okay? Now, he goes on and says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom whom God put forward as propitiation... By his blood to be received by faith. What propitiation, it's probably a better word for us to be um, uh, satisfied, okay, to, to pay the price, to, you know, you pay propitiation when you go to the supermarket and you give them money in exchange for your goods, okay? So it's that kind of satisfying of a debt. And so for us, we see here, that Jesus bought our salvation by him dying on the cross, yeah? So for us, the wrath and fury part no longer applies. It's good because otherwise, woo, we'd be in trouble. The wrath and fury part of God no longer applies to the Christians, to those who are saved. His son has satisfied that debt. The wrath that we were due, Jesus paid for by propitiation, by his blood. So then the issue, this is where the question comes from. Then what's the issue about sinning? If I'm forgiven, if it's by grace alone, if it's by faith alone, what's the issue with sinning as a Christian? You understand the question? Okay. The issue is that every time we see sin talked about, it's not just wrath and fury. It's also death and destruction. Okay? Sin is never talked about in a positive light. There's no little weasel verses that you can bring up to be like, yeah, see, sin's pretty good here. Sin is always regarded as the wages of sin are death. Death in your finances, Finances, death in your health, death in your spirituality, death in your family, whatever the case is, every sin is then talked about in context of the death and destruction that it brings. Yeah? And so the issue for the Christian in regards to sin is that we have a good father. And he has given us parameters, commandments, uh, things to live by so that we will not reap death and destruction in our lives. 
The issue for sin for God is no longer, I'm going to burn John Hargraves in hell. It's, ah, I want it so much better for you. The, the heart of the Father is, He doesn't want you to reap death and destruction in your life. He wants the best for you. Rob tells his kids not to run on the road when the truck's coming. That's not because he's like, it's because I don't want you to end up like splattered on the road. It's not a matter of wrath or vengeance or justice or anything. It's that I want the best for you, not the worst for you. Does that make sense? And the follow-up part of this question was, and how do I deal with it? Is it okay for sin? And if it's not, how do I get better? How do I, you know, and we all have those things. When we first become a Christian, probably 50% of the sins that you commit, you kick them out on the first day. Easy, because you're not really that attached to them anyway. You kind of just do them and you don't think about them. But when you become a Christian, you're like, I don't really need to do that anymore. I'm not that attached. And then there's a group that, you know, stick around for a little while, but eventually, I, oh, I got, got the better of that one. And then there's these tough buggers. Stick around and you'll probably go to the grave with some of them. It's the fact of the matter. Some of them you can be healed of. Some of them you're going to pick up along the way. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that there's all these things that we struggle with throughout our whole life, and we sit here and we think, God, I don't want to do that for whatever reason, whether it's the destruction reason or it's the reason I want to please you or I want to love you or I want to honor you, whatever the case is. In Philippians 4 verse 8, Paul writes this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. My suggestion to you would be that if you want to overcome sin in your life, stop thinking about sin so much. It's like trying to be on a diet and just thinking about chocolate all day. It ain't going to work for you. You know what's going to happen. Get dark chocolate, you know. Just cheat a little bit. Uh, John 14 verse 15 says, this is Jesus speaking, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The more I love Megan, the more I want to do in accordance with what Megan wants. I'm watching you. Um, the more we love God, the more those desires will become more for Him than ourselves. The more our desires will come more for what He wants and what He thinks is best than what we want to do. We're, we're going to have sin until the day we enter the grave. But the fact of the matter is the more we fall in love with God, the less we will want to do those things, the less those things will be um, uh, evident in our lives. And the fact of the matter is we will become more holy. We will undertake the process of what the Bible calls sanctification. We are justified. We are forgiven instantly. The moment you put your hand up, the moment you say, Jesus, be my Savior, I trust you with my life. I don't trust myself with my life anymore. You're my Lord. I am not. You are saved. And the rest of forever is trying to figure out how to do it with God. Parents' room just went dark. I worry for them. Um, <laughs> all right. I just see the, the lights turn off and I can just imagine what the children are doing to the parents. Like, ah! And um, it's all a cunning plan, I think. Um, but the fact of the matter is that we need to think about sin less. See, we, we look at this verse and we say, 
and you will keep my commandments. We, th we think about the keeping the commandments part. We should be thinking about that if we love him part. The more we focus on that, the more our desire and proclivity and all those kind of things to sin will lessen. They'll still be there. We'll still need forgiveness for them, but they won't be the dominating factor in our life anymore. God will be. We're going to pray. God, we covered a lot of stuff. We, we pushed a lot of buttons. We, we expanded a lot of walls, God. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us think through these issues, that you would help us come to a point where we just love you more, whatever the case is, God. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that we would glorify you more every day, that we would honor you more every day, that people would see that and want to come alongside us as we do that, and they would do the same thing for you, God. Uh, but most of all, we thank you that you have a plan for us, God. You have a purpose for us. You provided salvation for us. You catch us when we're going to fall because you know it, God. And I just pray, Lord, that we would just be able to rest in that, that we'd be able to trust in that, that there's nothing that's going to catch you off guard. There's nothing that's going to put you off kilter, God, but you are always going to win uh, because you know how everything's going to turn out. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please subscribe to hear more sermons from Epicenter Church. 